That will change the world. On like, oh shit, dude. Honestly, like I don't think it'll happen, but holy fucking shit! Could you imagine? I've just read something. U.S. President says Washington and its NATO allies will ensure war does not end with a Russian defeat of Ukraine. And who said that? Um, your president. Biden? Oh, yeah. I watched a speech where Biden was like, so uh, Putin gave a speech where he said, if anybody interferes with the invasion, they will suffer the fate of biological nuclear warfare. And then immediately after, Biden goes up and, and gets on and has a speech and says, uh, oh God, I have to here the two let me sh let, let me show the stream and for all the people watching the podcast unfortunately you're not going to be able to see the video but you will still get to hear the video it's a lot of useful information uh let me pull this up for the stream to see um it's going to give a recap of everything happening but he pretty much was like if you know if you nuke ukraine like we're going to nuke back if you send biological we're going to send biological back like that's where we draw oh that's what he said he said that's the sand in the line or that's the line in the sand that's where we're drawing it like if you start using weapons of mass destruction that's where we step in and do something about it i'm sure us can match russia to certain things. Or to a certain extent at least. Well, what do you mean match things? Um, with weapons and the mass destruction. Um Well, okay, so we're walking around saying that Russia is the biggest nuclear threat. But imagine we are, and we know we are, and we just don't want people to know. Like, you know, imagine Europe is. Imagine Italy is, or Iceland is. If you really were, would you tell everybody? I mean, the only way we ever knew anybody ever had nuclear uh, power was from satellite images. And, like, we literally spied and figured it out on our own. Nobody just comes out and is like, yo, we got nukes, you know? Yeah. Uh That's let me something Let me pull up this video. I got it right now. Nope, that's the Discord. We want YouTube. Cool. All right, so we're going to watch this video real quick. We'll pause and comment a few times maybe. We've talked about a lot of this, but this will talk about it a little bit more better and in depth. And then there's a second video I want to watch where it talks about how the outcome could be. принято решение о проведении специальной военной операции. Just gonna pause it for one sec. Let everything load.
Putin called this a special military operation, but it's clear this is a full-scale invasion. We're like in a cellar. I'm not sure if it's like deep enough to help us to survive. Russian troops and tanks have entered Ukraine on all fronts. All these cities are under attack, including the capital of Kyiv, which has become Putin's main target. Many are sheltering in basements and metro stations across Ukraine. There have been hundreds of casualties, and over half a million Ukrainians have been forced to flee their homes. This is one of Europe's largest wars since World War II. Since then, Europe's map has been shaped by political alliances. But now, Putin wants to redraw Europe's map by force. Okay, so I'm going to mute during the ad. Uh, half a million people have fled from their home. 500,000 people have fled from their home. Like Ukraine, how, what's the population of Ukraine right now? Or uh, as of like the latest poll or whatever, like. Maui, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's the population of Ukraine in total? Last time we checked. Not sure. I'll search that up. Half a million people. And in just a few months, half a million people have already fled. That's so many people. Like, and you have to think, like, if you're one of those people fleeing... Like, it's like, okay, well, we've got somewhere safe for you to go. Okay, well, I just lost my home, my clothes, jewelry, furniture, belongings, memorabilia, like, family heirlooms, history, and... Over 44.13 million people in Ukraine. How many people were in their capital? Or in the Kiev. Yeah, this is where people have been fleeing from, I, I believe, is mainly the capital. 2.884 million. That was at 2017. Wow. Five years ago. So it doesn't give an exact date today. So that's like a sixth or a seventh of their population of that capital already has fled while they're fighting back. Okay, let's get back into the video. Putin has long claimed Ukraine belongs to Russia and they are one people. We're not just close neighbors, we're one nation. But Ukraine is a sovereign nation with its own language, culture and political system. And while the two countries do have a shared history, Ukraine has fought hard for its own identity. Ukraine was part of the Russian Empire in the 18th and 19th centuries. In 1917, the Russian Revolution
Revolution brought down the empire and the region spiraled into a civil war. Ukraine briefly gained independence from Russian rule, but was quickly taken over by the newly created Soviet Hold on, I'm trying to lower the video quality so it'll stop fucking pausing. I don't even think that's it because it shows the video is already loaded. Soviet Union as one of its first republics. Over the next decade, the Soviet Union brutally expanded its control. And by the end of World War II, it forged a sphere of influence over here, while the West held its influence over here, essentially dividing Europe and marking the beginning. Of over here and over here for the people just listening at home, uh, being Ukraine, north and south of Ukraine, uh, being the right side and the left side uh, being uh, you, France, Ireland, Iceland, United Kingdom, Italy. Of the Cold War. I believe Norway. The Soviet well. Union yeah, installed communist governments on their side, which were easy for them to control. But the West developed into democracies with capitalist economies. The deep ideological divide fueled distrust and tensions between the two sides. And soon, these spheres hardened into military alliances. In 1949, these countries, along with the US and Canada, formed the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, and promised to defend each other from invasion. A few years later, these countries joined the Soviet-led Warsaw Pact Alliance, and each side built up its military to protect itself from the other. Europe remained this way for decades, until one side finally collapsed. By late 1991, republics like Ukraine began declaring independence from Soviet domination. The Soviet Union dissolved into 15 independent countries, including a much weaker Russia. And the Soviet sphere of influence disappeared as many countries overthrew their communist governments. Even though the Cold War ended, the alliance on the other side of Europe was still going strong. In fact, it was expanding. In 1999, Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic joined NATO. In 2004, seven more countries joined. That moved NATO into the old Soviet sphere of influence, making NATO's border with Russia the longest it's ever been. Belarus, Ukraine, and Georgia were now the last post-Soviet countries left between Russia and NATO. But Ukraine and Georgia both wanted to join NATO for a long time, and that made them prime targets for Russia. Ukraine became a NATO partner in 1994, which brought them a step closer to becoming a member. Ukraine will be in NATO. This is a historic event for our people. And in 2013, they reached an association agreement with the European Union. But when it came All right, so I'm going to mute during the ad. Um, so in 2013, Ukraine finally uh, reached an agreement with EU. 2013. Was Obama president in 2013? Because something I wanted to talk about was I felt like Trump had a big part in Putin 
not invading Ukraine. And when Biden became president, he started putting everything into motion to actually do it. Obama was president from January 20, uh, 2009 from then until January 20th, 2017. Okay, yeah, so he was he was president then, then Trump was. Okay. But when it came time to sign the deal, Ukraine's pro-Russian government refused. Instead, they chose to strengthen ties with Russia. After the decision was announced, hundreds of thousands of protesters took to the streets to demand the agreement be signed. After months of peace... Okay, so they weren't protesting the war. My bad. That was misinformation. They were protesting the agreement the government had come with establishing more power with Russia protests, the Ukrainian president cracked down and killed more than 100 people, sparking more protests, which eventually drove the president out of office and the country. This meant Putin was losing political influence over Ukraine. So he decided to use force instead. First, he invaded and annexed Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula. Then, Russia-backed separatists captured the regions of Donetsk and Luhansk and declared them independent of Ukraine. Since then, Ukraine has been locked in a conflict with Russia that has killed 14,000 people and displaced nearly 2 million. For nearly eight years, Putin has held on to these regions, destabilizing Ukraine and keeping it from moving closer to the West. But in November 2021, Putin decided to go all in. Satellite images showed at least 100,000 Russian troops and military equipment piling up along the border of Ukraine. Putin repeatedly denied any plans to invade. But weeks later, he presented his demands to the West. His main demand was that NATO stop expanding and move its military borders back to where they were in 1997, away from Russia's. Western leaders rejected his demands. Instead, they put forces on standby and reinforced their military presence in Eastern Europe. Back at Ukraine's border, Russian troops continued to gather. And over here, along its border with Belarus, Russia began conducting huge military drills. On February 21st, the threat of war became real. His troops immediately crossed the Ukrainian border into Russian-backed separatist regions under the pretense of peacekeeping. Ukraine announced a state of emergency, and President Zelensky made a direct appeal to the Russian people. Война лишит гарантий всех. Гарантий безопасности не будет больше ни у кого. Кто от этого пострадает больше всего? Люди. Кто этого не хочет больше всего? Люди. Кто может этого не допустить? Hours later, on February 24th, Putin launched a full-scale invasion in Ukraine. World leaders have spoken out against Russia's invasion. We condemn this barbaric attack and the cynical arguments to justify it. This hideous and barbaric venture of Vladimir Putin must end in failure. Putin chose this war. 
And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Anti-war protests have broken out around the world, including in Russia, despite the risk of arrest. Neighboring nations have opened their borders as hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians attempt to flee. NATO's response force has been activated for the first time in history, and the U.S. has sent additional troops to Eastern Europe. But in many ways, the world is treading carefully. Putin controls the world's largest arsenal of nuclear weapons and has already threatened anyone who might interfere. So countries around the world are imposing some of the harshest economic sanctions to slow Putin down and sending tons of military aid to support Ukraine. For now, Russian forces keep pushing deeper, but Ukraine is fighting back. All right, so that's like to get everybody up to speed. We've done a lot of talking about it. Mao, do you have anything uh, to add? Any opinions on that video? I just hope this war ends and ends soon. We, um, as the UK, have recently sent one billion um, pounds worth of things over to Ukraine. Yeah, That's in, su been. in supplies, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is fucking awesome. I mean, yes, a lot. I got two more videos I want to show. This, uh, this video on possible ways the war ends, and then one last video wrapping up the entire topic. Um, so let's get into the how, how things could end. You have to give it a second to load. <laughs> ah, it's because it's trying to start an ad. So this is how the Russian war in Ukraine ends. Uh, this was posted on the infographics show on YouTube. On February 24th, 2022, Russia brought war back to Europe after almost eight decades of peace. Its invasion... I'm switching it to 680p for the people watching on stream. Sorry, listeners at home for all the silence while it fucking loads. <laughs> One day I'll have a really nice PC. Decades of peace. Its invasion of Ukraine... My CPU is probably running really high right now. Pause this for a sec.
So Maui, where is Peanut? Where's she been this whole time? Is she gonna join us at all the episode this episode? Maui? I think we lost Mausers. has shattered all expectations of modern European powers resolving their problems peacefully and brought NATO itself to the brink of full-blown war against Russia. But this is only one of four possible ways this war ends, and the other three may surprise you. To date, Russia has lost an estimated 30,000 men either killed, captured, or wounded in action. That amounts to roughly 25% of the initial invasion force's ground combat troops in just over two months of fighting. By comparison, the United States lost 58,222 killed in action over the course of the entire Vietnam War. To put it simply, such incredible casualty rates are not only unprecedented, but completely unsustainable. Already, Russian losses are severe enough that it's estimated it'll take roughly two years to replace its tank losses alone. And that's only if international sanctions are lifted from the nation so it once again has access to the high-tech electronic components it doesn't produce at home. If not, Russia will be back to building Cold War-era tanks, which as we've already seen can't even stand up to manned portable NATO firepower, let alone a fully equipped NATO armored brigade. While there's currently a lot of talk about mobilization, Russian military leaders admit that mobilization will do little to help Russia win this war. It would take 90 days to fully mobilize a replacement tank regiment, and even then, they'd only be equipped with Cold War leftover tanks from Russia's vast reserves of very obsolete equipment. These tanks and their completely green conscript crews would perform even worse in Ukraine than Russia's current tank forces. Replenishing Russia's dwindling air power assets is simply untenable until sanctions are lifted or Russia takes the years necessary to retool its economy to provide high-tech electronics at home and build new aircraft. That's why the first possible way that the war in Ukraine ends is with a whimper rather than a bang. At some point, the flow of equipment reaching Ukraine from the west will simply outweigh the flow of obsolete equipment flowing into the nation from Russia. NATO military tech overpowers Russia's obsolete Cold War-era equipment, and Russian losses continue to mount, trying to break stiff Ukrainian defenses. To offset combat losses in personnel, Russia enacts mobilization and floods the conflict with additional conscripts. These conscripts are undertrained and poorly equipped, as well as suffering from extremely poor morale. They've been thrown into a war against a brother nation that none of them wanted to fight, while the professional volunteer soldiers, whose morale is also starting to slip, force them into combat under threats of punishment, in some cases under threat of death, as it's been reported that Chechen Katerovites have shot Russian soldiers who refuse to fight. Give it a moment while it starts this stupid ad that I apparently can't skip. Yes, I can. Let's go. Flux of manpower has the reverse effect in the fighting that Russia is hoping for. The tens of thousands of conscripts set loose across the front requires intense resupply at a time when Russia is already struggling to resupply the forces it already had in country. The weak morale and poor training work against Russia by leading to massive casualties and surrenders and engagements across Ukraine. Eventually, the bad morale becomes extremely infectious, leading to very serious breakdowns in discipline. We've already seen how one Russian tank commander had his legs crushed by a subordinate in anger at the extreme losses the unit took. Inevitably, a further Russian advance into Ukraine simply becomes impossible and the offensive stops. 
Putin declares victory by saying that he has taken the Donbas region and secured the vital seaport of Mariupol and the all-important waterways leading to Crimea that Ukraine had previously dammed off after Russia seized the peninsula illegally in 2014. This falls way short of Putin's original goals of toppling the Ukrainian government and installing a puppet government, but it still leaves Russia in control of very strategically and economically important areas of Ukraine, while choking off about half of Ukraine's ability to export goods. The situation is not great for Russia, but it's not awful either, and if one overlooks the staggering casualties it took to get there, one might even consider it a win. However, the Ukrainians would have to accept the situation, and it's unlikely they're willing to simply give a quarter of their country over to Russians, especially if they're winning, and while certainly Ukraine isn't winning, it's definitely not losing either. There's every sign that despite Putin's earlier assurances that he wasn't interested in physically occupying Ukraine, that this is no longer the case, though given Putin's laundry list of lies to date, it's likely this too was a pre-planned act of deception. In Russian-occupied areas, the Russian government is now guaranteeing pensions for Ukrainian citizens living there, as well as introducing the ruble as an official currency and even replacing street signs with those written in the Russian language. A massive effort to Russify the occupied territories is underway, with frightening speed, and perhaps most worryingly of all is the fact that one of the first things being brought into occupied territories is Russian television. This means that for citizens in occupied Ukraine, their only news source is now Russian state-run news and its non-stop blitzkrieg of propaganda. Putin is clearly not planning on ceding occupied territories back to Ukraine, but what if Ukraine fights back? Across the modern eastern front in Ukraine, Ukrainian forces are pushing back against Russian positions and liberating villages. However, they're also losing ground in the south. The entire front has become a back-and-forth reminiscent of 20th century wars, but the all-important here is that Ukraine was not supposed to be able to push back against Russian forces at all. Ukrainian forces were supposed to be completely overwhelmed by superior Russian firepower, and yet we've discovered that Russia is almost as big a threat to itself due to incompetence, bad morale, bad equipment, and worse training as it is to Ukraine. Ukraine could simply refuse to accept Russian occupation and continue fighting. The United States of America has already pledged to continue supporting Ukraine militarily until, as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi put it, the fighting is done. Europe may not be so eager to support an ongoing war in Ukraine, but they don't have to be. In terms of overall contributions to Ukraine, Europe's contributions are a little above symbolic, with the lion's share of support coming from the United States. In recent meetings with America's defense industry leaders, President Joe Biden worked to create a strategy for the ongoing resupply of Ukraine, even if the war lasts for years. As long as Ukraine is willing to fight, the US looks willing to continue supporting it, and the longer Ukraine wants to fight, the worse it might get for the Russians. Already the initial stance on not supporting Ukraine with heavy equipment has shifted. This was due to the stunning performance of Ukrainian troops and the equally stunning incompetence of Russian troops. Western analysts predicted Ukraine would fall within three days, and nobody believed that Ukraine's military could survive, let alone beat back the Russian assault at Kyiv and beyond. Now that the US believes Ukraine can fight for months, even years, it opens up the door for providing Ukraine with heavier equipment. Already, the US has provided Soviet-built helicopters it sourced from other nations, as well as other equipment that Ukrainians are already familiar with. However, if Ukraine is committed to fighting for years and the stalemate in the East holds, there's reason to believe the United States would begin arming Ukraine with modern American equipment. This would require months of training for its crews, but after which Ukraine would be fielding capabilities far superior to Russia's own. This is only possible if Ukraine continues this fight for years, as it would take that long to train Ukrainian troops and create the logistical networks required for repairing and replenishing sophisticated equipment such as the M1 Abrams. 
Yet if Ukraine has to date held against the Russian onslaught, there's little reason to believe the nation couldn't hold a status quo for the necessary time to rearm itself with Western equipment. Under assault from a Western-armed Ukraine, Russia would lose badly in the East and be forced to retreat. At this point, there's only two ways this war ends. The first is with a humiliating admission of defeat by Russia and a general withdrawal. This is extremely unlikely. But as the war costs continue to add up for Russia, Ukraine may be able to force this defeat condition even with current equipment. However, this would be an admission of catastrophic failure to be remembered for all of Russian history and is an unlikely move to be made by any Russian public official. The second way this could end is with the use of weapons of mass destruction against Ukrainian forces. This includes nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons. Currently, Russia has nothing to fear from Ukrainian retaliation over the use of WMDs, as the nation has none in its arsenal. Most worryingly, Russia has already planted the seeds for the justification of WMD use by creating propaganda that claims Ukraine itself has been working on chemical and biological weapons under the supervision of Russia's favorite boogeyman, the US. This is, of course, a blatant lie, as Ukraine has no WMDs. And if it did, surely it would have used them in the initial desperate hours of the war when it seemed as if Russian troops would take Kyiv. Even without Ukraine overpowering Russian troops after years of armament by the West, Putin might still turn to the use of chemical, biological, or nuclear weapons. President Joe Biden has declared this a line in the sand that would be met with an appropriate response. What this means is anyone's guess, but it's feared this would mean retaliation by the United States itself, proportional to the attack carried out by Russia. If Russia uses chemical weapons, the US might launch a chemical attack against Russian troops inside Ukraine. The US would be unlikely to use such weapons inside Russia itself, for fear of escalating the situation and the only type of attack it might respond tit-for-tat for, for might be a nuclear one. The only thing Ukraine needs less than one nuclear attack on its own soil is two nuclear attacks on its territory. This brings us to yet another way that war in Ukraine could end. If Russia were to turn to the use of WMDs and the United States responded in kind, it could lead to that of which the world has been most fearing, a full-blown confrontation between NATO and Russia. And yet, this is a nightmare scenario for Russia given how extremely poor its troops have performed against Ukraine's military, which is largely armed with Cold War weapons. Taking on NATO's professionally trained and well-equipped militaries would be a catastrophe of the highest order for Russian forces. And while before the West feared Russia's growing military might, the war in Ukraine has proven that Russia was a paper tiger all along. This is why, despite Putin's tough rhetoric against the West, the very last thing he wants to see is NATO tanks gathering outside Kaliningrad. Putin might speak tough, but he really has to ask himself just how many wars he wants to be losing at once. Our final way that the war in Ukraine might end is one that seems unlikely at first glance, but is frighteningly possible if several key facts about the conflict change. Currently, I'm gonna skip this ad. <laughs> I feel like I should subscribe to YouTube Premium now. bombing civilians in their homes, and even going to great lengths to specifically target civilian shelters. Russia is also destroying civilian infrastructure not just in the east where the heaviest fighting is taking place, but all the way as far west as Lviv, which had its power plant bombed by Russia. Despite having no military value, these random civilian targets are in fact far from random because they have great terror value. Putin's strategy is simple. It follows the same strategy that Russian used in Syria. By targeting civilians, he hopes to create mass panic and fear across the country, eventually prodding the people to sue for peace. In Syria, terrorized civilians refuse to support rebel forces. In Ukraine, a terrorized population could demand that its military stop fighting. With no political will to fight, Ukraine could surrender to Russia 
without Russia ever needing to completely dominate it. It's likely this campaign of terror would backfire against Russia, seeing as how the nation doesn't enjoy the military superiority it enjoyed in Syria. However, should it work, Russia would end up installing a pro-Kremlin leader into power in Ukraine, given the fact that today Russia seems to have no intention on returning occupied territories and is even going so far as to russify them, a puppet leader could call for a referendum on Ukraine, rejoining Russia in the style of a former Soviet republic. It's even possible that Russia would actually rebrand itself as the Soviet Union again, something that is likely extremely appealing to a Cold War diehard like Vladimir Putin. A new Iron Curtain could fall across Europe, and the Cold War 2.0 would begin anew. With Ukraine pacified, Putin would inevitably invade Moldova. Recently, a Russian general accidentally let slip what seemed to be Putin's real goals in Ukraine. His efforts focused on creating a land corridor across southern Ukraine that would not only cut off Ukraine from the sea and choke its economy, but also allow access to the Moldovan breakaway region of Transnistria. From there, Russian forces could pour into Moldova as well, all under the guise of protecting Russian native speakers. Putin would be two steps closer to restoring the former Soviet Union in its full glory, with eyes indubitably turning west toward Latvia, Lithuania, and Slovakia. These three nations are currently NATO members, which makes it doubtful Putin would seriously try to invade them, especially after President Biden's declaration that the United States would fight for every inch of NATO territory. The wording of this proclamation wasn't an accident either, as the United States has been aware of internal Russian brainstorming that involved launching a tiny incursion into a Baltic state, just enough to take a single village or a few miles of border territory, and then digging in defensively. This would force NATO to go to war against the entrenched Russian defense force over an insignificant border incursion. Seeing as some current NATO members didn't even want the Baltic states to join the alliance in the first place due to their vulnerability to Russia, it's possible NATO would splinter internally over the invocation of Article 5. This would destroy confidence in the alliance, especially from its most vulnerable members in the East, and could lead to a collapse of NATO on the whole. This would leave the United States and perhaps a few other European countries fighting an extremely unpopular war that a significant portion of Europe doesn't even want. In such a scenario, it's possible Russia wins this confrontation with the West and is allowed to take as much of the Baltics as it really wants. Vladimir Putin would have finally succeeded in restoring the Soviet Union in whole and greatly escalating the potential for a devastating nuclear conflict. Now go watch What's Wrong with the Russian Military or click this other link instead. Alright, so the last video I want to watch is about the fundraiser. Um, like I said, if you guys go to the merch store, we do have Heroes for Ukraine shirts. If you guys buy the shirt, not only do you get the shirt, but $5 will be donated to the Ukraine uh, Beast Philanthropy fundraiser. And any donations you guys send to the fundraiser, if you send a screenshot of your donation and send it to me, I will match all donations. What do you want? I want a job that I don't hate. What is Sorry for that ad. I want a job that I don't hate. <laughs> Over 12 million people have been forced out of their homes with nowhere to go. Since 
the war in Ukraine started, over 12 million people have been forced out of their homes with nowhere to go. We want to live in our country. I'm afraid because I can't my daughter. We had to help. So we reached out to refugee centers in Eastern Europe and asked them for a list of things they need. Medical supplies, food, basic necessities, cleaning supplies, even simple stuff like hygiene that we take for granted. And we managed to coordinate over $3 million worth of goods to give to Ukrainian refugees. And step one of getting the supplies we needed was reaching out to our local community to see if they could help. I know I can't do a lot, but at least I can unpack things. I was born in Ukraine and still part of my heart is there. These are our families, these are our friends in Ukraine. We want to do everything, you know, very little bit that we can here to help them there. We're going to start collecting everything that comes today and tons of other donations. All of the Ukrainians in North Carolina have come together and we're going to start moving this stuff to Ukraine. And everything you see here is what was donated by the Ukrainians in North Carolina. In total, we managed to fill over 30 different pallets with essential stuff people need in Europe. And after collecting supplies for our local community, we reached out to every company in America, and not surprisingly, a lot of companies stepped up to help the Ukrainian refugees. Harry stepped up to the plate and donated 275,000 shaving kits. Kind donated half a million Kind bars. Discobed gave us pallets of beds. And MedSource Labs donated $100,000 and desperately needed medical supplies. And these companies right here also donated to help even more. Altogether, in our first wave of aid, we collected over 1 million items. That's over 11 truckloads of stuff going straight to Ukrainian refugees. But this is when we ran into a serious problem. When the war started, so many people sent things to Europe that it actually jammed up the ports and made it much more difficult to get vital supplies into Europe. Which is why we partnered with Flexport.org to establish our own global logistical chain into Eastern Europe. Then, Darren flew out to Romania where more than 400,000 refugees have fled since the crisis began. And before we continue showing you how we were able to help Ukrainian refugees, I need to tell you about BetterHelp because we get a sponsorship on every Beast Land 3 video so we can take the money, use it to help people in future videos. Which basically means if you skip this ad, you literally hate people. Almost 1 billion people worldwide struggle with mental health. Which is why BetterHelp's mission is to make professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient. Darren, they have over 20,000 licensed therapists, so no matter where you are in the world, if you have an internet access, they can help you. You can talk to your therapist on weekly video chats or through text messages if that's what you prefer. Just log in and message your therapist whenever. If you're interested and want to join 2 million other people, just go to betterhelp.com slash beastphilanthropy and you can get 10% off your first month. BetterHelp is also giving anyone affected by the war in Ukraine six months of free therapy and have already helped over a thousand refugees. To receive our shipments, we partnered with EMAG, the largest distribution center in southeastern Europe. We just sent off another load of beds. I said truckload. They made sure our one million items of relief made it to all the different refugee centers that needed. And while Darren was there, he visited the main refugee center in the North Train Station of Bucharest. They're responsible for helping tens of thousands of refugees since the crisis began and providing anyone fleeing Ukraine with free meals. In Romania, all over, there are around 400,000 refugees. With your help, we can keep a at the end of the day, no matter how many beds or supplies we send, the crisis isn't over. This $3 million of aid is only the beginning. We'll be coordinating millions more over the coming months and keeping up the relief efforts for as long as the war continues. So we need your help to sustainably help the Ukrainian refugees. There's a donation box to the right of this video or a link at the top of the description. Every dollar donated will go straight to helping Ukrainian refugees. We also have these Ukrainian shirts for sale at shopbeastphilanthropy.com. 100% of the profits from these shirts will go straight to our partners to continue their efforts helping those who need it the most. This shirt makes anyone look good, even Darren. Thanks, Ma. Make sure you keep watching the videos on these channels because we want to keep helping people. Goodbye. Yeah, you guys can get their shirt if you want to get a Heroes for 
Ukraine shirt. You can get that as well. All the money will still go to the fundraiser. If you want to just directly donate to the fundraiser, you don't care about having a shirt, you could do that as well. Uh, and I will match your donation to the fundraiser. Uh, the podcast is going to end here. I'm going to leave it on a promotional screen for a 2v2 tournament that we have coming up on the HFH tournaments channel which everybody can actually go follow now if you guys want to it is hfh tournaments that's where we're going to start having all of our tournaments at so technically there's going to be four channels that hfh is going to own it's going to own hamilton tv hamilton tv2 hfh podcasts and hfh tournaments so yes there is a tournament channel now that you guys can check out um that's where that's where all the tournaments are going to start being held so check that channel out i have to get to work so i'm going to leave it on like i said i'm going to leave it on a promotional screen and i will see you guys later maui have a good day